the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Today, Beth's coming back to the show. Right. And we're also joined by Ishmael Jose, one of our real estate attorneys. Hi, everyone. I'm back. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know about the show, the show's about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. You know, in a few minutes, we'll tell you who's going to be on this week's show. We're going to have some surprises. But in any event, Mel, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me here, Mr. Connors. It's always a pleasure to be here. Okay. Now, you haven't been on the show for a couple of months now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, okay. What have you been doing with yourself? I've been doing a lot of real estate closings over the past few months. Um, and then right now, I'm transitioning into a litigation attorney here in New York and doing a lot of estate planning work okay. as well. Now, where did you go to law school? What's your legal background? All right. I I graduated from San Beta College in Manila. Um, where? San Be- in Manila. What's the name of the college? San Beta College. It's actually a Benedictine college founded by the Benedict- Benedictine monks of England. <laughs> um, I graduated in 2005, practiced uh, corporate litigation for about um, 10 years, and then I moved to the U.S. You got a question tonight. What's the question? It's kind of a long question there. It, it's kind of, it's kind of it, this question came from Paul, and I'm going to read it. Dear Mr. Connors, my dad transferred his home in Staten Island to me over 80 years ago in an irrevocable life estate trust. Dad still lives there, but the deed is on my name. A couple of years ago, he was diagnosed, diagnosed with dementia, and my sister reappeared after many years of not visiting my dad, and she took me to court to try to reverse the life estate. My sister failed. The courts ruled in my favor. My question is, I have just found out with my sister now controlling dad's finances, and she has stopped paying the, the property and real estate taxes on dad's house. The city has placed a lien on the house. What do I do now? Unfortunately, you know, and this is some of the problems with email questions, is some background. How did your sister get control of your father's finances when she took you to court and lost that case, and at the same time she took control of his finances? I'd like to know how she did that. If she did it with a power of attorney, you may want to challenge that depending on your father's mental status. Here's one thing. Assuming there's an irrevocable trust in place and you're the beneficiary of the trust, I would pay the real estate taxes because you have an inheritance to, to lose. And those 
those taxes may be deductible if you pay them because you have an interest in the property. The other thing is, technically, you could sue your father or your sister to pay those bills because a life estate holder is still responsible for the taxes, the insurance, and the upkeep of the house. But the question is, is it worth it? What's your father's income? Who's? What is your sister doing? Does your father have assets? Do you want to go to court over it? You know, sometimes you never know. You go to court, sometimes bad things happen. You're never sure of the outcome. But it's a little bit of a mystery to me how she could have sued you, tried to reverse the trust, denied on that, and somehow ended up control of your dad's finances. I'd like to talk to you what the history is, you know, in this proceeding, because on its face, it doesn't seem to make any sense. But you're more than welcome to give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. Beth, you have a question too. What's the question? I do too. And this one's kind of personal. Dear Mr. Connors, recently I heard you on the radio. You were on the Joe Piscopo show. And this is from Celeste. And she says, I just love Joe Piscopo. Um, Joe had John Wayne's son, Patrick, on his show also. My question is, how can I leave money to this Cancer Institute after I'm gone? Should I add them to my will? Okay, well, the question is, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Listen, I, Patrick Wayne, the John Wayne Cancer Institute, we love those guys. And, and Beth, we were out there at the John Wayne Cancer Institute, what was it, January this year. And believe right. me, it is a great place. It, it's impressive, and the people are just wonderful. You can tell they care with, about what they do. They're passionate about their research, and they, and they love their patients. Yeah, and we've had a number of the, the doctors from the John Wayne Cancer Institute on our show. Um, I think we're having the researcher, Chris, the guy, uh, the guy who was an ex-Mountie and a sniper. And, you know, went into research, cancer research. He's, is he coming on anytime soon? We're working on that one. Okay. Because he's an interesting character. He's Canadian, obviously. Can it Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We know cool people. Right, right. Well, the John Wayne Cancer Institute has some cool people working there. And, and it is a great place. If you want to leave them in your will, listen, you can come in to, to see us and I'd be glad to do that will. You can contact him directly. Pat's going to be, you know, he's got a commercial on our show in a, in a couple of minutes. He gives the website or whatever. You can give a, our office a call. We can give you the information. Again, our office, our phone number there is 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. I guess one of the guests on our show today is going to be Tim Wilson, who works for the, the London Center for Policy Research. Herb London ran for governor some years back. I remember at that time he was at our house one time, Beth. Right. We right. had to get together for him. Yeah. So, But anyway, Tim Wilson from there, and he's a former British Army officer. We're going to be talking about gun control. And Mel, I, I, you don't really have the Second Amendment in your DNA, do you? <laughs> oh, no. I, I, just, I just kind of feel like when, when a gun is pointed at you, is there any statistical studies where you can actually defend yourself and fight back? Well, it's getting to the point where self-defense is going to be a crime. No, 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 no. I believe in self-defense, though. Yeah, you do believe in self-defense. That's good. <laughs> okay, well, wait, wait. Somebody's pointing a gun at you. Why are they pointing a gun at you? I don't know. <laughs> we're not talking well, about a police might... officer in, the, in in performance of his duties. No, no, no. This, that's all we're talking. I, I, th- I think um, mo- most of the advocates are confusing lines between being able to have a gun and being imposed to you know that the, the equal- equality of stance here. But I'm talking about the more direct um, example of when when someone's pointing a gun at you, whether to to rob you, 
to to do anything harmful to you, would you really be able to defend yourself? Why not? Yeah, you don't have a gun look, in your back. You may not well, realize. Well, yeah, but this, if you have a gun, that's the point. <laughs> listen, I have an accent. I wasn't raised up here. When I was a little girl, I lived in Grayson, Louisiana. Everybody had a gun because they it's a little bitty place and this time of year everybody went out hunting for their food and they would get there I, yes they could protect themselves oh my goodness now per capita there were probably more guns per person back then than there are now and you didn't have the crazy things going on then so i don't know guns and guns in themselves are not bad. So what? Remember Chuck Connors and the Rifleman. A gun. I think we can agree with that one. But it's just scary to have someone in the streets carrying an AR-15, just you know, to shop around for groceries. <laughs> well, that's a little odd. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> you know. But I don't think most people would be afraid to go in Walmart without a gun. But here, but my point is, you can't. You can't say to a person that is a good law-abiding citizen, I want your gun. Give me your gun just in case. You know, I'm afraid you might do something bad with it. Are you kidding me? I think that's I agree how, to that. That's how bad I, I can agree to that statement, over. I think. All right. In any event, you know, in a couple of minutes, we'll be listening to Tim Wilson. We're going to be talking about the Second Amendment. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. From our family to yours, I wish you a happy and healthy new year. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. 
Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A couple of weeks ago, I attended an event and we had some people from the London Center for Policy Research. Among them was our next guest, Tim Wilson. Welcome to the show, Tim. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Can you tell the audience, what is the London Center for Policy Research? It's not based in London, is it? No, no. It's, uh, it's, it was founded by Dr. Herb London of New York City um, some years back to engage in research on key policy issues of our time, national security, energy, and risk analysis. And our mission is to challenge conventional wisdom wherever appropriate and add depth and texture to um, current deliberations. So we, tr- we're, we, we try very hard to find facts to work from and then solutions to problems. Can you explain to the audience your background? Yeah, I'm a retired British Army officer. I served over 30 years in the British military. Um, I had a variety. I had an interesting career, shall we say. Um, And then I moved to the uh, U.S. uh, 15 years ago when I met um, an American lady who I ended up marrying and have no regrets about that. And then I proudly became an American citizen eight years ago. Okay. Did you have any regrets becoming a U.S. citizen? None whatsoever. Amongst other things, my first school was in in America when I was uh, five years old. I went to a school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I've said throughout my life that I learned the Pledge of Allegiance before I learned God Save the Queen. (laughs) All right. Now, we were talking the other day about the Second Amendment. Now, you're, you're from Great Britain, and I assume you have a different attitude than a lot of Americans. You're probably in favor of gun control. Uh, not at all. I'm a huge fan of the Second Amendment. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a very good school where we had a shooting range. And at age 14, I started target shooting and absolutely loved the sport. Um, and when I ended up in the military, I, I carried on competition shooting for, for many, many years. Um, I'm actually dismayed because I, I can see the benefits of the Second Amendment. I can see um, many of the advantages naturally occurring to me. Um, and the base, the baseline that I work from is the same as many other people know to be true, which is that a good guy, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Now, let me ask you something. When I was going to high school, people always said, well, in New York, we have so many murders. In London, we don't have as many murders, and that's because of gun control in London. What's your comment? Um, My comment is that it's way more complex than that. And uh, the facts on gun control and gun crime in Britain are not being fairly represented. Britain actually has more violent crime per head than the USA. Um, and that is a big deal. And some of that is undoubtedly and pr- demonstrably due to the uh, Second Amendment. Um, and I'll give you an example, if you like, very quickly. I'll try and be quick. Um, the uh, burglary rate with violence or home invasion, as it's known over here, where there is somebody in the house. In America, the uh, home invasion rate or burglary rate in what's, what Britain calls a hot burglary, which is where there is somebody in the house or the, the dwelling, is down at about 13%. Now, they asked criminals about it, and they said one of their main reasons for or they asked convicted burglars, and over 2,000 of them they surveyed, and they found that their main reason for not liking to do hot burglaries or home invasions was because of the risk of being shot. In Britain, 13% in America. In Britain... 59%. Brits can't sleep well in their beds. 
59% of the burglaries in Great Britain are what you call hot burglaries? Yes. That's from British police statistics. What's the perception? Why is the perception you're so much safer in Great Britain than you are in the United States? Um, I think because, to be honest, in both countries, your chances of actually being robbed or murdered violently are actually pretty low. Um, and so it's more a case of what appears on the news. And of course, the news loves to sensationalize and, uh, you know, nothing like a good gory murder or a mass murder um, to hit the news and keep the news running. Um, but at the end of the day, an awful lot of people go through most of their lives never having a violent encounter of any sort. A lot of the Democrats right now, it's a common argument. Oh, okay, we don't. Some of them say we want to take all your rifles. Some say, well, we don't want to take your hunting rifles. We want to take away your assault weapons, whatever that might be. Again, right. what is your comment? Well, uh, first of all, what is an assault weapon? And um, the legal definition is a weapon, that, a rifle that fires, an assault rifle is one that fires automatically. That is to say, you pull the trigger once and it fires as many bullets until, uh, as it can until you let go of the trigger. Um, hunting rifles, there's, there's, I think a lot of the confusion arises from the term AR-15. Um, and people need to understand that that is not because it was an army rifle or an assault rifle. The AR-15 was designed by the Armalite company back in the 50s. And it, AR-15 stands for Armalite Rifle 15, which was bought out by Colt and the genre moved on from there. But the, bottom, but the bottom line is it was originally designed as a civilian gun, and it was then adopted by the military because it was such a good weapon. Now, a lot of people can say, well, why do you, why do you need an AR-15? Well, what possible use could you have for it? Well, it, amongst other things, through its course of development, A, it's familiar to an awful lot of ex-military guys because it was the basic weapon of the late 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, so they're very comfortable with it. B, it was developed and it became adopted by the military because it's a good gun. It is reliable. It's accurate. It's light by comparison with many others. Uh, it's accurate. And it does is a great gun to carry for hunting. Your definite, well, your perception of the, the Second Amendment, I think, is different than a lot of left-leaning politicians right now. It's kind of like the right to bear arms is, is very narrowly defined. What was the purpose of the Second Amendment? What were the founders' purpose? Well, it, it's actually very clear if you study it in detail that the founders meant for citizens to be their primary thing, which is covered in um, a number of areas from back in that era, is that it was designed to help citizens protect themselves from the tyranny of government. That's a large part of it, and that has a very important meaning to me, but we'll, we might get into that later. Um, but straightforward, and I, amongst other clear indicators of the way they meant it, before the federal constitution was signed, the various states, the 13 original states, also drafted their constitutions. In fact, in 1776, um, Vermont's constitution specifically included the line, the people shall have the right to keep and bear arms. No mention of a militia, no mention of any other restrictions. It was all about letting responsible citizens keep the weapons of their choice that they had in those days. And bear in mind in those days, a Kentucky rifle was state-of-the-art. 
Yeah, so I think what you're saying, some people say the, the public has no has no real right to have an assault rifle, quote, because, you know, only the government should have that. And, you know, the Constitution was there for, I, again, it seems like it's protecting hunting rights, but the, the guys from Kentucky with the rifles or the Morgan's riflemen had more deadly weapons than the British brown bess. Absolutely right. And for very good reasons that the founders put that in, as far as I'm concerned, because there's a thing called the tyranny of the masses. Um, and what ha that tends to mean is that um, certain people with that sort of trait will always try and impose their will. And one of the ways that they will do that is by getting a vote that's somewhere in the region of what they want and then using it to impose their will on the rest of society. Now, it's all about trust at the end of the day, because the founders did not trust future politicians to look after the citizens for, totally for the benefit of the citizens. Likewise, today's politicians, a lot of them don't seem to trust the responsible armed citizen. Now, I will freely accept that there must be limitations on what you can have and where you can have it. I actually think that the multiple launch rocket system, for example, is a great system, but I don't believe that there's any real civilian use for it. Um, so I'm not convinced that they should be available. Likewise, I do not think that gun carry, which I think should be much wider than it is, um, should not be allowed in prisons. So there are definite limits, and I'm unsure myself where exactly they should be. But I do believe that trustworthy citizens, and we have an idea of who they are just in local society, so um, then should be allowed to carry pretty much anything they want. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think the United States is safer? Is it more secure because of the Second Amendment? Absolutely, I believe that. Um, amongst other things, I've been doing a lot of research on the numbers involved and trying to find facts, which can be quite hard, amongst other reasons, because the government likes to twist statistics. But it's believed that there are up to 400 million guns in private ownership in the USA. And that makes us safer for a couple of reasons. One is at the strategic level, where any invader, anybody even thinking of invading, um, has a real problem, because there is um, an armed citizenry uh, available to go out and hassle them. And we saw in Vietnam and uh, in Afghanistan and in Iraq how a few guys with rifles can actually cause a, um, a military force a lot of problems. Um, another part of that is that apocryphally, um, Admiral Yamamoto was said to have said, we cannot invade America because there will be an American behind every blade of grass and he will have a rifle. Now, I don't believe it was at Yamamoto from my research, but I think that the sentiment behind that statement is exactly right. It gives any enemy ever thinking of invading this territory real pause. In the same way that it gives burglars pause when they think about going into somebody's occupied house. Yeah, well, I can tell you just from personal anecdotal stories. I mean, I have relatives in Texas, and in certain parts of Texas, you don't have burglaries because you could get shot. Yep, that's exactly right. And that's why we're unlikely to have invaders as long as there are a lot of guns around, because the invaders would be shot. <laughs> And that, that has to be a genuine concern to anybody planning to take over the country. An armed rising is not something to be taken lightly. If you look at every communist nation around the world and many of the socialist nations, they have very strict arms control. 
and have had throughout history. Why? Because they're frightened of an armed citizenry. And going back to the trust issue, the government needs to prove that we can trust it. We shouldn't have to prove to them that we can be trusted. Yeah, but you know, today the world's been turned upside down on those things. Is that a good thing? No. Um, <laughs> there we go. Yes. I'm desperately trying to research at the moment into how many times guns do more good than harm. And all I'll say is that it, it, it is fairly obvious, although I don't yet have solid numbers, that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of defensive uses of weapons that save non-criminal lives, if I can put it that way. And there is nothing like a gun for being an equalizer. If you're in your 80s, 90s or more, sitting in your home in your armchair watching TV and an 18-year-old walks in, the only thing that makes you equal with him is a gun. Gun control in, in England, in the United Kingdom, how did it evolve? How did, how did all of a sudden they lose their rights? been all of a sudden. Uh, it, was, it actually started after the First World War when a lot of the military brought their guns home and were allowed to. But that led to all sorts of problems because the uh, local police realized that there were a lot of trophy weapons around as well that they had absolutely no idea about. And it evolved gradually from there. And then in the uh, 70s and 80s, there were a couple of incidents. In particular, there was a mass school shooting at a place called Dunblane in Scotland. And it was very clear to me then, I had a collection, of, a small collection of firearms in the UK, um, and it was clear to me, and I sold them off because I saw the writing on the wall. Handguns are now banned in the UK, and UK, which has a population of about uh, almost 70 million, so about 20% of this country, has only under 2 million weapons in private hands. And that includes, they have now restricted where you have to get a gun license if you want to own an air pistol or an air rifle. And an awful lot of that 2 million is shotguns. Um, there are a few under 200,000 hunting rifles and the British government owns maybe 400,000 guns altogether. Um, and just by the way, there are estimates from the UK police again, there may be up to as many as 3 million illegal guns in Britain. Now, you served in, in the British Army in Northern Ireland. How effective were gun control laws in Northern Ireland? Well, that's one of the points, isn't it? Criminals don't obey the law. So gun control was not very effective. Um, it, it's an, it was a fascinating place to serve, in particular in the years that I did serve, because I was there in the early days of the Troubles, right through pretty much to the end of the Troubles. Um, I will say both sides... Um, developed I would like to think that the army developed in better ways because when we first went in we were unsure what we were doing and over keen and, and by the end we had basically realized that most of the IRA provisional IRA in particular were criminals disguised as um, how should we put it freedom fighters they weren't they were thugs and once we managed to convince the local populations of that, um, things changed fairly fairly quickly, much for the better. What example would you give that they were thugs and criminals and not freedom fighters? Well, it was interesting that almost all of the of the leadership owned million pound plus houses in era where they were safe. Where did they get that money? Um, they claimed that they weren't involved with drugs, but we caught them drug smuggling a few times. 
They claimed that they were freedom fighters, but actually, as I say, they were very much into extortion, thuggery, protection rackets were big. In other words, you're saying they're a lot like organized crime was in the 30s in the States. Yes. Yes, very much so. That's a very good comparison. We're running out of time, I guess, but you can say one more time about the London Institute and where people can learn more about it. The London Center is London Center for Policy Research is online at londoncenter.org. And uh, we're very much into trying to find facts to, to add texture to deliberations on policy issues. And then we try very much to find workable solutions to problems. Um, and that is our whole line of effort. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you for your, for your insights. You're giving us something that a lot of Americans don't have. So, so thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much, Mike. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank. NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, Call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. You saw the surprise and fear in our eyes. Donald became president. Scream, this can't be true. America's through. To the same spaces we went. I've got friends in safe spaces if you don't go. Welcome to Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, on this show, we always give priority to people born in Brooklyn, and today's no exception. We're very privileged to... That's funny. I love that. <laughs> well, the, the laugh you hear is not, not, Dennis Prager. What, what if you're born in Queens? Do you, do you hang up on them? How oh, does yeah. it work? Only people in Brooklyn or play or Brooklyn Dodgers. Brooklyn Dodgers go to the first to the front of the line. Uh, but anyway, the uh, laugh that, you heard is no, Dennis Prager. I am interviewed all the time and I never got that introduction. That's why it cracked me up. 
<laughs> okay, well, you can hear Dennis every Monday through Friday on this station at, at 1 p.m., but you have a movie out right now, No Safe Places. Can you tell the audience what it's about? Yes, it's a wake-up call to the United States of America that for the first time, literally in our history, free speech is threatened in the United States. And if people listening are not aware of it, they need to see the film. If they are aware of it, the film will will motivate them to do something about it. I just want to say, uh, uh, and I, I'm, I'm a very realistic guy. I'm, I, Adam Carroll and I are, quote unquote, the stars of the film. However, it is not a, a great film because we're in it. It is a great film that we are in. What these writers, producers, and directors did is to make a riveting, riveting docu-film, a doc combination documentary and movie about what's happening at colleges in the United States. And people will laugh and people will cry, but, uh, and people will get stirred. Every time the thing is showed, we get reports, people applaud, often standing up at the end. What kind of examples do you show about the denial of free speech on American campuses? Well, it's example after example, but I think, well, maybe the most dramatic one is the story of Brett Weinstein. It's a professor of biology uh, at a college in uh, Washington State. And uh, one day it was announced, uh, the college announced, all whites will leave the college for a day. The guy is a lifelong liberal, I mean, liberal activist and professor of biology, as I pointed out. And he said, this, you know, I'm not going to leave the college because I'm not going to leave because I'm white. It's absurd. And uh, to make a very long story short, uh, you see students gathering around him, cursing him to his face, calling him, of course, a racist. And finally, it became so dangerous for him to go to, to the school. The police told him, we cannot guarantee your safety. And the man left college he had been teaching at for his adult career. It's it's an amazing story, and you see it all. Uh, it's like a movie within a movie. When you and I were were going to college, there was definitely a, a concept that there was a, a college was a free exchange of ideas. There may have been some prejudice against conservatives, but there wasn't denial of free speech. How did this develop? That's correct. You got it right. That's the change. The change is not that the schools are left wing. It's that there there is now suppression of free speech. As I said, where I began, it's the first time in American history. Well, all right, I'll tell you my theory. We we don't go into this into the film because we want this to be an, a, just a wake up call and, and a dramatic film. But you're asking my personal opinion. It is very uh, very basic. Unlike liberals, leftists, and I draw this distinction all the time between left and liberal. I wish liberals did. But uh, unlike liberals, leftists always suppress free speech. There is no example of le the left being an authority anywhere on earth where free speech was not suppressed. All right. So obviously it's going to our campuses right now. Does it have the support? Because a lot of our audiences, they may have grandkids in college, but they haven't been to college in years, and their children are out of college right now. Well, if you're a conservative in college right now, what what are some of the restrictions that might be on your activities? Well, first of all, as as I'm sure you, I, I'm, I know you know, and but I'm sure many of your members of your audience know, 
uh, it is very difficult for a conservative to get on a campus. Uh, they, they, uh, on occasion, they will just say no. On other occasions, they will cancel the speech. On other occasions, they will say, yeah, you can come, but you have to pay a lot of money because it costs a lot of money for security to have a conservative speaker. Then the whole name of the movie is No Safe Spaces. Safe spaces exist at almost every college now where if a conservative comes to the campus and that troubles you emotionally, you can go there and they give you hot chocolate and stuffed animals so that you are not uh, are not traumatized. Where did this come from? I mean, uh, people used to be tough. I mean, when, you know, when I was going to college, there was fierce debates about the Vietnam War and government and opposition to the government or whatever, but people didn't feel safe. Well, people didn't feel unsafe. Is it, Yeah, that's yeah. right. They didn't need to retreat. Yes, exactly. I, it's The left has done a terrible thing to, to kids. They have made them fragile. They have kept them children. That is exactly right. Oh, this troubles you? Oh, well, then you're a victim. The whole thing, it's, it's part of a very big picture of of a decline in society. I say this with sadness because I love America, but it's it's a very serious issue. That's why the movie is so important. Now, who's some of the other people in the film besides yourself? Well, of course, as Adam Carolla and I, we're the co-stars, as it were. Adam Carolla is is a terrific human being. He's he's uh, we come from his different a background, and he makes that point in the movie uh, how different our backgrounds are. They, they, it's it's like it's hard to believe two such people both grew up as American. We're so different in our background, but we're so similar in our values. Anyway, so in addition to us, I mean, you you have left and right in this film. That's what's uh, beautiful. I mean, you have Van Jones, and and you have uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, and you, it's uh, you have Dave Rubin. I mean, it, it's just. Uh, people from across the spectrum. And uh, I mean, I was in Alan Dershowitz's apartment uh, for this scene in Manhattan. And he, he said to me, Dennis, just want you to know, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, I'm a lifelong liberal, lifelong Democrat, as a liberal, as a Democrat, as a Hillary Clinton supporter, as a Jew, I fear the left more than the right. I think it's the most important line in the movie. Let me ask you something again, and we're going to change. But why are so many members of the Jewish community here in New York supporters of the Democratic Party? Uh, I, I will give you an answer, but I, I, I deal with this a lot, and I speak at churches a great deal, and the question always arises, and a totally legitimate question. But, I, I mean, let's be honest. I don't think that the proportion of uh, Gentiles in New York who are Democrat is greater than the proportion of Jews who are. <laughs> the uh, uh, or is less, I should say. The the New Yorkers, uh, especially Manhattanites, are liberal and leftist. Uh, you know, De Blasio isn't Jewish, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, uh, or or the members of the of the New York City Council. Uh, this this is a universal uh, problem. Uh, the Pope is is a leftist, and he's a Catholic. Uh, so I'm, I'm not deflecting your question. I just want people to understand Jews stick out because they're loud and they're disproportionately active. But Jews are disproportionately active in conservative causes. 
the two of the two. Uh, I'm one of the best known conservatives in the country. I'm Jewish. Ben Shapiro is is at least as well known as I. He's Jewish. Uh, I mean, you know, this is uh, Dave Rubin is Jewish, and these the, you know these are people. Alan Dershowitz is Jewish. He's a liberal, but he, you know he he's he, he's hated now by the left. Hated. He's more hated than I am because he's seen as a defector. Now, within the Jewish world itself, specifically, I have a lot of theories on why Jews gravitate left. My biggest theory is uh, when Jews leave Judaism, they don't leave religion. They make up secular religions. The Jews, the Jews who stay within Judaism are not, are not uh, leftist. Orthodox Jews are as conservative as, any, as the most conservative evangelical groups. I'm going to ask you another question. Earlier today, I spoke to an author, Joe Pierce, and he was originally from England, and he was imprisoned in England for hate speech. Didn't nothing except he published newspapers that had a politically incorrect opinion. And he would say himself he was he was wrong at the time. It was hate speech. But still, he was put in jail for expressing the wrong opinion. And he says that same law could be used against Christians today in England. Yes, uh, there's no question. Look, they don't have they don't have a First Amendment. We do. But 50 percent of millennials want the First Amendment rewritten. So so that's that's the problem. But, yeah, there's there's always been more free speech in America. In in Europe, if you deny the Holocaust, you go to jail or have a fine. In the United States, you deny the Holocaust. You just considered the sick piece of crap that you are. But you don't go to jail. America has always allowed free speech for the most despicable speech. And because once once you ban despicable speech, where does it end? You know, you're bringing up another point. You and I both grew up in Brooklyn, so we know a lot of people who went through the Holocaust. Where does this Holocaust denier, where, where does that come from, the Holocaust denial? I think it emanates from, and for some, it's just sheer anti-Semitism. Uh, but for others, it is... Uh, these are people who are lost souls who uh, they know they'll get attention. I mean, it's, it's like saying the earth is flat to deny the Holocaust. So who's going to get attention? People who say the earth is round or people who say the earth is flat. So that, that I think both are factors, but it's, you, you know, it's, it's funny. So from the first, the first time I heard that there are people who deny the Holocaust, I remember my instinctive thought, God, I hope they're right. Yeah, but like I said, I know you're. I, I've met so many people over the years that went through it, and not that that's the determining factor. But how can you not believe these people? It, it's just mind-boggling. No, it no, hurts. No, no. It's the most. It's the most documented event, probably in history. I mean, it, it's just, it's beyond belief. The, uh, did Eisenhower lie? <laughs> why did Why did well, Oh, he's a Republican. Yeah, well, well, no, but he wasn't a Republican then. He was just a general. He was the head of the armed forces. When he saw, he went into one of the death camps and he saw the piles of Jews' bodies. And he said, take pictures of this so that people believe what happened. He he was a prophet. He knew there would be people who would deny it. I don't know how we got into this, but let me ask you, do you think there's a, 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 a I think we all are afraid of this. The, the denial of free speech may be imposed by the government on us someday. Yes, that's the whole point. That's the reason people need to see the movie. Well, listen, things percolate out of the universities, and then they, it's like a, like a sort of infection that permeates the society. I'm telling you, I, 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 maybe it went unnoted by because by, I you know, make a lot of points, but half of the millennials, according to the various polls, 
believe that the First Amendment should be rewritten to ban hate speech. But of course, hate speech is the whole point. Nobody's for banning love speech. So it's a, it's, it's a stupid point. Oh, we're for free speech, but we're not for hate speech. Well, well, you know, if you say you're against affirmative action, it's called hate speech. If, according to the University of California, there's a list of things you shouldn't say. Uh, they're called microaggressions. And one of the examples, this is official University of California statement. Here's an example of something that's called hate speech. Someone says um, there's, uh, the, there's only one race, the human race. I know you're probably thinking, what's wrong with that? Is that a beautiful statement? Well, it is a beautiful statement, but because it doesn't honor race, it's racist. All right. I guess that's why we should see no safe spaces. And I have one word for our audience. If you're going to see the movie, see it quickly. It's always important to have a good box office start on the film. How are you? People, people forgive me. People should go to no safe spaces, no safe spaces dot com. Then they'll know where it's playing. How are your reviews doing? Reviews are 50 50. Needless to say, because the reviewers are overwhelmingly on the left. The, 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 I read, read those reviews. They're incoherent. They, it's so bizarre. Uh, it's like uh, the common one would be, well, you only uh, you only hear about conservatives being uh, having their speech suppressed. That's the that's unfortunately exactly what's happening. It's it's a little bizarre. It's like you know, uh, writing a book on slavery and somebody saying, "Yeah, I don't think this is a fair book. It only speaks about the blacks in America being enslaved." Yeah, but they're the ones who were enslaved. <laughs> it's it's so bizarre. Anyway, the um, uh, uh, the reviews though of people who see it. On Rotten Tomatoes, 99% loved it. That's good to hear. No safe spaces. See it right away. Dennis Prager, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Yeah, you're good. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, 
I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. When a desperate parent calls YCS seeking help for their child with special needs, we are there to answer the call. Our staff provides compassionate care to children affected by trauma, autism, or developmental disabilities. Can you help us provide the services needed to keep families together? Find out how you, your company, or organization can volunteer. Learn more at YCS.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Here I am. So we had, I think, today two very good interviews. Tim Wilson from the London Center and Dennis Prager from, you know, this radio station, 970 The Answer. And of course, you know, what we talked about today, in effect, we talked about the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and we talked about the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And very interesting observations by Tim Wilson, who grew up in the United Kingdom in Great Britain, and he has a different view of it. But he is a great supporter of the Second Amendment, and he's done a lot of studies. And, you know, even after we got off the air, he, he mentioned some statistics we'll bring up in another time about how it's... It's much more safer in the United States where people have weapons than in Great Britain where they don't have weapons or they don't have firearms. Right. To me, it just seems like it's logical. I don't know why so many people battle with it. I don't understand why you would think it's such a big deal to remove a gun from a household where you have law-abiding citizens. Why? Why must that be done? Of course, with Dennis Prager, we talked about to some people today that are Holocaust deniers. And that, to me, is just like so absurd. And of course, on the show, we've had an, a, a few people that have survived the Holocaust. And, and it hurts so much that, that people have the audacity or the stupidity to, in effect, deny that it had happened. As Dennis Prager said, it was probably the most documented part of history. You know, the fact that there right. was a Holocaust. Right. Well, in in many respects, we're fortunate that it was documented because there are awful things that happen all over the world at different points in history. And this reminds us there are horrible people and horrible things happen. Um, it's You've got to be very careful if you have the opportunity to choose your leader you must choose wisely, and um, the whole, I mean, your father had firsthand experience as a soldier in World War II. Um, how any I mean, this is within history, you know, a generation's history, and to have people say no, 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 it's it is unbelievable, and I think there has to be something bad behind it. I don't think it's. I'm a conspiracy theorist here. There, to remove, just to say something didn't happen, isn't that what the Soviets did? Isn't that what, you know, we start from this point forward, we don't look back, nothing happened. That's um, that's dangerous. Okay, so again, with Dennis Prager, the name of the, the movie is No Safe Places. I have not seen it yet, but uh, our son Michael has, and he 
said it's an interesting experience. He recommended it to me, and so you and I are going to have to watch it. I guess so. Some people have been asking me, when's our next set of seminars? Well, we don't really do many seminars during the winter. But if you have a church group, you have a synagogue, you have a senior citizen center, you'd like us to do a seminar, try to give us about two months' notice. But you can schedule a seminar. We'll go to any church, any synagogue, any senior citizen center, and we'll do a seminar about estate planning, elder law, whether you want us to talk for a half hour, an hour, sometimes longer. You can give us a call at 718 718- 238-6500. 718-238-6500. No charge for us to do the seminar. We're more than glad to talk to people. So give us a call if you're part of a church, synagogue, or senior citizen center that would like to have us have us speak about, you know, estate planning. Now, again, David Kincaid is going to tell us to be going home in a few seconds. Check his website out, David Kincaid, but he sings on hollowed ground, and this radio station is based at Trinity Building next to Trinity Church, which is next to the cemetery in which Alexander Hamilton, Robert Fulton, and other illustrious Americans are buried. So, David, take it away. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.